Coming up on Studios America, Josh Rogan from The Washington Post breaks down the latest in the COVID origins investigation. The CDC is now issuing its guidance via strategic leak. Seems about right, just like how it leaked out of a lab. And Congress has managed to, of course, actually work together and release an infrastructure deal. We gotta be happy about that, right? Bipartisanship, yay. Let's go through the details as we do the bipartisan blowout. Stu does America. It's the bipartisan blowout sale. Everything must go. Are you excited about it? I know I am bipartisanship. That's good. When you have the left agreeing with the few people on the right, that's bipartisanship. And that's what makes this country move forward. So we get really good legislation. You know, you never see a bipartisan spending cut bill. That never occurs. But this is a bipartisan spending bill, and that's what we have to look forward to. I'll get into what this actually means in a second, but let's learn a little bit about what is in this wonderful, wonderful bill. Let me use CNN's descriptions of all of this so I'm not accused of unfairness. First of all, let's start with how will Congress spend all of your money? Hmm. Well, first of all, funding for roads and bridges. This is what we hear about all the time. Whenever anyone says infrastructure, they of course mean our crumbling roads and bridges. $110 billion are going to be going to bridges and roads and all sorts of things. Now, of course, they start from the dollar figure, which is always confusing to me. If you have to do something, like if you have a bridge you need to repair, you bring that bridge in a list, we'll look at that list, and then we'll say yes on this one, no on this one, yes on this one, no on this one, right? And instead, what they do is like, ah, give us $110 billion, we'll find some bridges to fix. We'll find some roads to fix. Surely we can spend that much money. It's backwards. But okay, we all understand this is an infrastructure bill. I will say, in the bill, i give you a couple, a couple of examples throughout here, but there's $1 billion for reconnecting black neighborhoods divided by highways. There's a sort of long-standing myth that uh, it was one of the mayors of Chicago from back in the day who decided he wanted to keep the white people and the black people separate, so he built a highway in between them. Therefore, the black people could never cross and get near those white people because that would be racism. Now, certainly there's a lot of racism back in this era. I have found that both white people and black people are capable of crossing under or over highways and they seem to be doing it very frequently. I've done it thousands of times in my life. It doesn't seem to break up my uh, ability to uh, go from place to place, but that is the sort of strategy here. By the way, this plan had been set in motion long before this mayor was accused of, the, of these racist crimes. Um, but it's stuff, there's a lot of like sort of feel good social justice-y stuff kind of all throughout this bill. There is money, of course, for transit and rail. $39 billion to modernize public transit and improve accessibility for the elderly and the disabled. Uh, of course, you know, I've said this a million times, trains are dumb. There's just no reason to be investing in trains in the United States. We have some that already exist. It's probably worth keeping them around because we've already paid for them. But still... They're dumb. It's a dumb way to transport things. We did this with Andrew Cuomo earlier this week. He wants to spend $2.1 billion on a two-mile train to connect one train to an airport. 
when there's a bus that's already doing it in less time and already available. This is just a reality when it comes to trains. You might like trains. You might have a train set. Uh, it might be your hobby to make little model trains. That doesn't make you a bad person. But trains are dumb. By the way, this counts only public transit that is not Amtrak. So the trains that are not Amtrak. Amtrak is separate. They're spending $66 billion on a backlog of maintenance projects. Let me say it one more time. Trains are dumb. Next up, broadband upgrade. They're going to spend $65 billion to subsidize the internet bills and spread the internet all over America. I guess there's some rural areas that don't have that access yet. They're going to push it out there. If you don't have enough money to pay for your internet, they're going to give you some of that money so you can stream this stupid show. What better way to spend our money than giving more people access to the thing destroying our society. Good work, everyone. Just $66 billion to do that. Then they're gonna be upgrading airports, ports, and waterways. That's 25 billion for airports, 17 billion for ports, in part to, quote, promote electrification and other low carbon technologies. Makes me feel good about it. And of course, that's not all the green stuff in the bill. Electric vehicles have their own section, $15 billion on electric buses and charging stations. What I like about this one in particular is the people who buy electric cars are generally wealthy. This is a stats a few years old, but the people who bought the Prius made an average of over $100,000 a year. And when you polled those people, the number one reason they said they wanted to have a Prius was to show uh, their virtue of the environment to others to show what a good person they were to other people. It wasn't about the green benefits and it wasn't about the fuel efficiency and it wasn't about the car that their the fact that their car went zero to 60 in 8.3 minutes. It was, no, I want to show others that I'm a good person. So this bill will help all of those people who make hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and it'll help them uh, get around the country because environment. And this bill will also put a, a lot of money in one of the world's richest people uh, in his pocket, Elon Musk. I mean, he's the guy with all the Teslas. He's, he's going to make his car company a lot more successful. Congratulations to Elon Musk. Congratulations. I'm so happy he needed the money and he needed the extra help from the U.S. government. Now, how about improving power and water systems? $73 billion in our power systems. And you might say, well, maybe this is actually worth it. Uh, you know, our power systems are a little bit screwed up. We've seen that in Texas recently. Not so fast. A huge chunk is going to expand renewable energy, which was one of the causes of the problems here in Texas. There's $55 billion to upgrade water systems like lead pipes. Okay, you can see that. I don't know if $55 billion is necessary, but you know, there's some water systems that are really out of date. $50 billion to protect the grid from cyber attacks and natural disasters. This is money that if they actually did it right, which is a huge if, might actually make some sense, right? Um, prevent, uh, preventing the grid from going down from hackers from Russia or China is a worthwhile expense if it's actually done right. I'll let you, uh, let you choose the outcome. Choose your own adventure here. Will the government do it right? Uh, let me give you a little picture. Um, they also spent tons and tons of money pr uh, preparing for a potential global pandemic. So that went pretty well, right? We did that really well. 
So there you go. Environmental remediation, $21 billion to clean up abandoned mines. I mean, I just got to say it. They're already abandoned. Just put out a, sort of a keep out sign in front of the building, uh, you know, the, the mine entrance. That should be fine. And they keep saying, by the way, this is a $550 billion bill. Now, if you did the math here, we're well over $550 billion. The whole bill actually is more like $1.2 trillion. So why do they keep saying this is a $550 billion uh, bill? Well, if you kind of look at the fine print, the $550 billion is in new spending. What does that mean exactly? What do you mean new spending? If it's $1.2 trillion, isn't it $1.2 trillion in new spending? Did you put old things in the bill? Well, this is where you have to look to find out how Congress is supposedly going to pay for this. And it's oh so entertaining. So how does Congress pay for this nonsense? Number one, they're going to repurpose used COVID relief funds. Hmm? They're going to repurpose unused COVID relief funds. Huh. They gave out too much free cash in the COVID bills. You know, like when we were saying, you're giving out too much cash in the COVID bills, $205 billion too much. So they're going to shift that money that we didn't have to pay to this new stuff that we don't need. So they say, okay, we need this COVID money. They give out $205 billion too much of it. They're going to take it from that pile, put it in the new pile, and instead of giving it back to us or paying down our debt, they're just going to spend it on something else. They're going to recoup funds from the fraudulent pandemic unemployment payments. Now, this is basically the government saying that some people scammed the unemployment system when they were giving out all this extra free cash, which, of course, is so obviously true, but also so obviously expected. Uh, good luck on getting that money back. Maybe you'll be able to get some of it back. But of course, this is standard practice for these types of bills. They just go through it and they say, well, we're going to get 20 billion dollars in finding money from people who scammed us. They never find these people. They might find a couple of them. They're going to find $20 billion worth of fraud. And even if they were to find it, they wouldn't be able to get it back anyway. People who are, generally speaking, defrauding the unemployment system don't normally have tons of extra cash lying around to give back to you. How about states opting to terminate the pandemic unemployment benefits early? This is interesting because we hear that Republicans are so so crazy they all they want to do they don't care about these giant deficits and generally speaking of course that's true however republicans didn't um spend some of this extra unemployment money you remember this debate from a month or two ago where republican states were saying like hey one of the reasons why we can't get anybody to come back to work is we're paying them not to work so we we're going to turn down your extra unemployment money you might say, well, that's a great idea because then that money can come back to the people, right? No, no. They're going to take that money that was not spent by the red states and, and lump it into this bill so the government can spend $53 billion that we didn't have instead of saving it or giving it back to the people, which is a weird way kind of to look at money that you don't have. How would one save money that they don't have? Hmm. Think about that. Just let it marinate over you for just a moment. They're also going to get money for this bill by spending less on the pandemic jobless programs than expected. This is another trick they do all the time in these bills. Well, look, we expected to spend, uh, you know, X amount of billion dollars on unemployment and all these other things. And now we expect the economy to be great. So we're not going to have to spend that money on unemployment. Isn't that wonderful? 
aren't they currently telling us to mask out, to watch out for new shutdowns? The Delta variant is coming. Are we at the beginning of another dangerous wave? Are we? Because if we are, how can you be promising in this bill that we're going to have so much economic prosperity, we can spend all the money we need to spend just based on the savings of the wonderful economy? It doesn't make any sense. They're telling us two totally different messages there. And it's exactly what they accused Donald Trump of when he was paying his taxes. Oh, well, when he wants to get a loan, he's saying his businesses are worth a lot of money. And when he wants to pay taxes or when he has to pay taxes, uh, he's saying that his business is worth a little bit of money. He's saying the same thing out of two sides of his mouth. That's a crime. We need to we need to send the feds to his company and start arresting people. But if it's the government doing it, no big freaking thing. They're also going to delay a Trump administration rule on prescription drugs. Basically, Trump had an executive order on drug prices that's going to cost the government money that they don't have. So the government now is going to play with the books a little bit and delay that rule for a year so they can act like they have another $49 billion that, by the way, they do not have. Economic growth resulting from a return on investment from the projects themselves. This might be my favorite one. They're basically going to act like they're spending money is going to make them money. Like, for example, you build a bridge and then you collect tolls off of that bridge. Maybe it will pay for the bridge and then profit, profit, profit. This always happens when they predict it, of course. They're saying that that will bring in $56 billion a year that they are allowed to spend before they have it because all of this is insane. They're also going to change the tax reporting rules on cryptocurrency. Look, we've all known the Biden administration is not a fan and not a friend of cryptocurrency. $28 billion, they say they're going to pull out of people's pockets who invested in cryptocurrency. And now they're going to uh, find new ways to tax them. We'll see what that means. And of course, the last one, I love this, various fees. $10 billion in various fees. Wouldn't you love to be able to write that into your budget at home? You know what? We're a little short this month. Let's add some various fees to bring in $10 billion that aren't even really worth describing in any detail. It's just fees. It's only $10 billion. Why even talk about it? So what does all this mean? Yes, we are spending a ton of money. And yes, there are a few things here and there in the bill that might actually make a little bit of sense. But it's more than we need to spend. We don't have the money to spend on it even if it wasn't a bloated bill. And perhaps the most insane thing about it is the question that has to be on all of our minds today. Why are Republicans participating in this nonsense? Why are Republicans helping this along? Seriously, the, the Democrats have already said that they will take whatever they don't get in this bill and stick it in the next bill, which they can pass with no Republicans at all. So why participate in this charade? You're giving Joe Biden a win for bipartisanship. You're spending us into oblivion with money we do not have again, and we get nothing out of it. Republicans are just signing on for the loss in advance. These guys are supposed to be our representative, our advocates, our allies in Congress with friends like this who needs enemies. You like to have a good snack some point kind of throughout the day sometime, but you'd rather not pack on the pounds doing it. 
Well, Built Bar is here to save the day. They've got so many flavors, something for everyone. Uh, when you talk to a big Built Bar fan, my wife is the biggest Built Bar fan probably in America. She loves uh, all their flavors. She gets all the new ones as they come out. There's a shelf in my refrigerator legitimately that is filled with Built Bars at all times. She likes to chill them a little bit. That's advice from her to you. Put them in the fridge. Chill them a little bit. They taste delicious. Uh, she loves them that way. You'll love them anyway, though. Uh, mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream, all the great flavors. And you're talking about um, 180 calories or less for all the bars. You're talking about 18 grams of protein, four to five grams of sugar, four to five uh, grams of net carbs. You wouldn't know that it's healthy by tasting them because they went for taste first. They said, hey, let's make a really good tasting candy bar. And then at the end of this, it'll be healthy, too, for the people. That's great. That's what you want out of a company. Built Bars are available now at Built.com. Built.com. You can use the promo code Stu15 and save 15% off your first order. Use that promo code Stu15 because that's how they know. You like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 15% off at Built.com. So happy to welcome Josh Rogan to the program. He's a columnist for The Washington Post and author of Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, Xi, and the battle for the 21st century. Josh, how's it going? Great to be with you, Stu. Great. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I, I want to get into China kind of overall here in a second, but can we start with the, uh, the Fauci and Rand Paul back and forth? We spent a, a decent amount of time on it because, you know, Fauci's this trusted figure. Rand Paul's this evil libertarian crazy person, at least from the media's telling. But in this back and forth, and I think repeated back and forth between these two, it seems like Rand Paul is in the correct position. Am I right on that? Yes. Yeah, so I watched your show on this uh, last week and I thought you got it exactly right. And basically what you pointed out here is that, you know, Rand, uh, Rand Paul was asking a legitimate question. And the legitimate question is not whether or not whatever Anthony Fauci was funding in Wuhan could be defined as gain of function research, but whether or not he realized the risks of it and whether or not he properly oversaw those risks and whether or not as the man who's in charge of dispersing money that was going to find its way into a bunch of Wuhan labs, whether he still thought it was a good idea to give American taxpayer money to organizations that are going to give it to these labs when they tell us to go pound sand when the pandemic breaks out on their doorstep. And of course, Anthony Fauci won the sort of semantic debate over the scientific definition of gain of function research because he's the guy who wrote that definition. And <laughs> he wrote it in such a way as to exempt all of the research he didn't want to put through his own review. So he built an oversight mechanism, not just him, Francis Collins at the NIH and some others, but he was heavily involved in building an oversight mechanism that had a huge loophole. And then he went through the loophole that he designed and bragged about it on national television. And, you know, well, I thought the follow-up to that uh, conversation was when Jake Tapper on CNN actually asked Anthony Fauci for the first time I've ever heard anyone ask him, hey, don't you realize that those Chinese labs, including the Wuhan Institute of Virology, are run by the Chinese Communist Party and the go government, and they're not doing open science. He phrased it a little bit nicer than this. And uh, did you factor that in, Anthony Fauci? Are you factoring that in now? And Fauci basically said, no, he basically said, trust me. He said, we're going to continue doing this risky research, including with these labs who have lack safety standards and who won't even let us into the lab. We're giving money to the lab. They won't even let us into the lab when the crisis breaks out in their town. Yeah, I, that is, I think, the most remarkable part of all of this, because we can go back and forth as to whether this, you know, this research may really have a, a value and maybe it is worth doing in the right circumstance. But like 
we are at a point where they still to this day are not giving us access to what was going on in these labs when this thing started. China somehow is escaping being the enemy here. We're accused of racism if we accuse the government of wrongdoing. But I mean, this is incomprehensible. A global pandemic was started in their country and they will not even give us access to the files to get, get a better understanding of it. Oh, it's way worse than that. The cover-up has been going on for a year. They won't give us access to the early data. They won't, the virus database, uh, they took it to totally offline and claimed it was getting hacked. I mean, the, they've censored the science. No scientist in China can issue a paper on the coronavirus or, origins without the government's approval. Okay, so they've basically shut down open science. And uh, if you look at the New York Times last weekend, what Anthony Fauci said in an interview is that his plan uh, for responding to the greatest pandemic in human history caused by a back coronavirus, one way or the other, uh, is to expand this exact type of research. He wants billions of more dollars from the U.S. taxpayer in a new program, a doubling of his agency's budget. Because money's just, you know, fungible now. Now it, we, money doesn't matter, right? Because we're just spending trillions of dollars like there's no tomorrow. So Anthony Fauci wants his multi-billion dollar piece of that. And can you imagine if Congress were to give him American taxpayers money that he's not even promising won't go to the very lab that just told us to go pound sand when the coronavirus outbreak started uh, 10 miles away. And, you know, if that doesn't show you sort of how this system, not just gain of function research, but all of the checks and balances that were governing U.S. collaboration with labs in a country that is a totalitarian dictatorship and that is weaponizing our engagement against us, that is taking all of our money and our know-how. And that's the other big part of this that you didn't get to in your last show, but you you, you were you were nipping at the, at, at, at the tails of, which is uh, all of that know-how, it doesn't matter if the research that we sponsored led to the virus. We taught them how to modify back coronaviruses, mm. okay? And what the Trump administration revealed and what the Biden administration actually confirmed is that they built another part of the lab, the part that they didn't tell us about with their military, where they did back coronavirus research that they didn't tell us about. Not just that lab, lots of labs. So they took our, our know-how, which is much more important than our money, actually, and they weaponized it against us. That's not to say it was an intentional leak. That's just to say that they have a bioweapons program. We have a bioweapons program and we're helping them with theirs. And then, uh, of course, you know, when the uh, uh, when the lab is suspected of being the source of the outbreak, they say, no, you can't come into the lab because why would you open up your bioweapons lab to international inspectors? And here we are. So putting Anthony Fauci in charge of the oversight of Anthony Fauci just didn't work. OK, <laughs> someone's going to have to oversee them. And guess what? Putting his best friend, Peter Daszak from the Equal Health Alliance in charge of oversight also didn't work because that's what the WHO did when they created their first team. And then. The head of the WHO, Dr. Tedros, had to come out and say that the first team that he sent to Wuhan totally failed to investigate the lab. And now we should probably look at the lab. So we've had a year of not just, you know, intentional dismissal of the lab leak theory, uh, not just uh, an intentional misleading by our public health officials, including Dr. Fauci, unfortunately, uh, of uh, of the American public to say it can't possibly be the lab, don't look at the lab, but a continued and ongoing thwarting of many congressional investigations to examine our relationships with all of these risky research projects with all of these Chinese labs. And on what basis does Anthony Fauci as a public servant tell U.S. Congress not that they can't have the documents that the U.S. taxpayer paid for? On what grounds could he possibly say that we're not entitled to that information? That's the situation that we're facing. Mm. So it's much more about not about the gain of function definition as it is about 
how come we're not allowed to know what was going on inside of this huge amount of collaboration? The Pentagon was giving money to the EcoHealth Alliance, the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, the Homeland Security Department, get this, this is going to blow your mind, yeah, yeah. was giving money to the EcoHealth Alliance to fight coronavirus pandemic disinformation. As the head of the EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Daszak, was putting out coronavirus origin disinformation. This, okay. I want to laugh at this, Josh, but I shouldn't be laughing. Uh, this is what this is the truth. Yeah. This is the truth. Yeah, it really is amazing. Um, and anytime you put a person in charge of oversight of themselves, I think we all have learned as a fundamental principle this is not a good idea. Um, let me have you, have you. Do you take anything from these from the emails that have been released? Some of them I've looked at and I haven't you know, thought there was too much to them. But there is this one back and forth exchange um, from January where Fauci and, uh, and, and Barrick and all these names that have kind of surrounding around this type of research seem to be panicking about something. They, they seem to be alerting each other that, hey, we got to get on the phone today. This is really important. They link to uh, one of the papers that was being discussed here. Of course, the title of the PDF in, in hysterical form is gain of function, which is uh, just, of course. Uh, do you, do you, when you look at all these emails and what was going on behind the scenes, have you been able to learn anything from it? Right. What, what the emails reveal and what's abundantly clear if you just read them is that early on in the pandemic, uh, the team of virologists and scientists that are very close to Anthony Fauci, remember, he's the head of a, a network, a system of uh, di money distribution that funds research for virology all over the world, including in Europe and in China. And a bunch of his best friends got together and took a look at this virus and immediately thought to themselves, well, this might be a modified or engineered or uh, s somehow otherwise handled in a lab virus because of the way the virus looks and because of the way the virus acts. And of course, later they all came out and said, Oh, it's impossible. You're a conspiracy theorist if you even suggest that. But what the email shows is that privately it wasn't – they didn't think it was conspiracy theory. In other words, they were telling the public something different than they were telling themselves. And when the emails came out, all of them said the same thing. They said, oh, well, that shows that we really went through a process to because we thought it could have come from the lab. And then we <laughs> did more work and then we figured it we were wrong. So doesn't that mean that we're so smart? <laughs> right. But they couldn't have possibly done that work in the two weeks that it took before they came out publicly and called, called everyone who mentioned the lab a conspiracy theorist. It's impossible. And to this day, there's plenty of scientists now who are saying uh, there's lots of evidence by looking at the way the virus looks and the way that it acts, uh, that it had some connection to the lab, either modified or uh, part of their gain-of-function research or just part of their regular research. And uh, that's why we need to know. We need to find out. We're going to need to look at the lab, but we can't have uh, the scientists who are the, be are the best friends of the lab look at the lab because they tried that already and they messed it up and uh, we wasted a year and now we can't afford to do that again. Mm, it, it really is a bizarre, disturbing situation. You've got to hope that more of this is going to come out. I want to trans- It will. I, I, it does seem like it's trickling out as we go. So that's that's a positive. Um, let me go to uh, let me go to your book here for a second, because I want to talk about our relationship with China overall. And that's what your book's about. Let's start here, though. You, you called it chaos under heaven. Why? It's a quote from Mao, and Mao said, there is great chaos under heaven, the situation is excellent. In other words, from the Chinese Communist Party's point of view, the more dysfunction and division there are in our, is, is in our system, inside of our own system, the better it is for, our, for them, our adversary. Uh, so part of what the book focuses on uh, is the determined, multifaceted, 
well-funded comprehensive efforts by the Chinese Communist Party to interfere in free and open societies, including our own, in a variety of different ways, to spend billions of dollars through proxies and fronts and companies and billionaires uh, to influence our discussion, to have their political agenda come out of our institutions and our uh, voices. And that happens in academia. It happens in Hollywood. It happens in sports. Uh, it happens in our markets. It happens in our tech companies. And it happens in our politics and in our media discourse. And uh, that's a hard thing to talk about because it's designed to be hard to talk about because it's an area of influence that's not quite spying, but not quite propaganda. Uh, but it's very serious and it's very dangerous. Now, that's one part of the case. The other part of the chaos was the chaos that you and I and all of us lived through over the last four years uh, <laughs> under the Trump administration, because, you know, I'm not a pro-Trump guy. I'm not an anti-Trump guy. I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a partisan. I'm just a foreign policy journalist who happens to also want to find out how we got into the pandemic, uh, which no one seems to care about after a year and a half. So, But putting that aside, I wrote this book to do, to write an honest account of the four years of Trump, the Trump administration's China policy, there was a lot of good, there was a lot of bad, uh, there was a lot of chaos. But overall, what President Trump did to his credit was to change the conversation about China in a way that can't be undone, to wake a lot of Americans up to the fact that we've got a problem here. And that problem is that the Chinese Communist Party un under Xi Jinping is taking that country backwards. I call it the Great Leap Backwards. And it's becoming more aggressive and more repressive. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, its power and influence mean that uh, we can't just ignore it, that this is affecting us in our lives and not just us, everybody in the world, everyone who's affected by the pandemic knows that to some degree uh, the character and actions of the Chinese Communist Party uh, exacerbated their suffering, okay, and continue to, okay? So this is a generational challenge. I don't like calling it a Cold War because I think people associate it too much with the Cold War, but it's not, it's kind of like a Cold War. And by the way, you know, people who are in a Cold War I think fail to realize that that's not actually the worst option, that uh, mm. actually, uh, you know, we're going to have to have uncomfortable relations with China if we want to avoid the worst option, which is actually the hot war. But in order to avoid that hot war, which is really the most important thing, we have to confront the Chinese Communist Party now because totalitarian dictatorships that are committing genocide rarely just give up, rarely yeah. just stop expanding almost never yeah until they're confronted until they're confronted by people who want something better for this world and for our society um, you know you, you mentioned the great leap backwards which isn't is really noticeable uh you know to me i mean we've been adversaries with china at some level forever but you know it really is escalating it seems like it's accelerating and it seems like xi really wants this to be more adversarial of 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 a relationship and I guess there's a couple ways of looking at that. You know, is this something where Xi is just uniquely this type of person who has this type of vision for China? Or is this something that, uh, you know, people propose that it's more of a long term plan, right, where they were able to use capitalism and whatever they could get out of opening up their markets a little bit to uh, in a long term way to sort of try to bring this chaos to the rest of the world as a strategy? Right. My take is that the Chinese Communist Party, under various leaders, has had a long-held uh, strategy uh, that they've implement very, implemented very deliberately over decades, uh, not to take over the world per se, but to shape a world order that makes 
them the most important and most powerful country forever. And mm. the, not the country of China per, exactly, but the party itself. And uh, a lot of uh, Washington China hands and experts uh, spent 40 years trying to disprove that by engaging the Chinese Communist Party as much as possible under the bet that if we just gave them all of our money and took all of their money <laughs> for our stuff and engage and, and cooperate the with them on everything that they would cooperate them with us on, uh, that they would reform and they would liberalize economically and that would lead them to liberalize politically and then we, it would solve all the rest of our problems. Now, it's painfully obvious to everyone now that that's not happening. And why that's not happening is, is, a, is a really good question. Part of it is that Xi Jinping has uh, consolidated power. He is the most powerful Chinese leader since Mao. Uh, he is president and general secretary for life. He's murdered or imprisoned all, almost all of his rivals. He has no successor. And, uh, you know, that kind of system where the power is so concentrated is a very dangerous system. The other thing is that the security state has taken over society, Sur mass surveillance, even if you're not a Uyghur, even if you're not a Tibetan. And those people are undergoing horrible tragedy. But just regular old Chinese society is becoming completely securitized. And what that means is that uh, uh, the party runs everything, the security state runs everything, including their businesses, including their companies. So that means we're going to have to make some choices. We're going to have to figure out where we can still cooperate and where we're going to have to decouple. And that means uh, getting back our supply lines. It means making sure we have the stuff we need in a pandemic because this time they blackmailed us for masks when the pandemic hit. So we can't have that again. And then it means educating Americans about the challenge that's coming. And um, that's what the book aims to do, is to just get everyone on the same page. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat. It doesn't matter if you're a Republican. It doesn't matter if you like Trump. It doesn't matter if you don't like Trump. Uh, this is a shared challenge for uh, free and open societies and for people who believe in freedom, democracy, and human rights. And uh, you know, the challenge is only getting worse, and time is not on our side. Mm, this is a really important time for this book. Uh, Josh Rogan, columnist for The Washington Post. The book is called Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, G, and the Battle for the 21st Century. Thanks so much for coming on the show, Josh. Anytime, Stu. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. Now, you know all people are racist, of course, but did you know that birds and plants can be racist, too? I bet you didn't know that. Well, there's a new movement going on right now, very active movement to change the names of thousands of birds and insects and trees and flowers it is a bizarre, bizarre thing. Now, this is some of this stuff has gone on before, right? Like, you know, there's this thing called World War II, and the Nazis did lots of experiments, and they figured out a lot of stuff that you shouldn't have been able to figure out because they just basically tortured people. And then they named all their discoveries after themselves. And there's been a long-term movement to say maybe we shouldn't call that like Hitler's dis Hitler's di you know uh, discovery. Like maybe that's not the right the right way to do it. So. They have uh, reversed a lot of those names, and some of that's understandable, but some of it just gets to the point of ridiculousness. Let me give you some of the names that are being turned around. No more gypsy ants or gypsy moths. Now, I will tell you, if you happen to be a resident of Connecticut and you grew up around the time I did, you remember one terrible, terrible summer, 1982, 1983, something like that, that will scar me for the rest of my life when gypsy moth caterpillars uh, just devoured basically the entire state 
They were everywhere all the time. Everywhere you walked, they were on everything you touched. They were everywhere. I, I'm getting the creepy crawlies just thinking about it. As a five or six year old kid, it was torture, okay? Torture. I hope they kill every gypsy moth caterpillar on earth. I want a genocide of gypsy moth caterpillars. I don't care about their name, I want them all dead. So anyway, that's that's a total side point, not really what the story's about. Asian carp is apparently going away. Why? Well, AAPI violence, we know about that. Asian Americans are being assaulted by white supremacists, even though we have almost no information whatsoever that supports that notion in any way. But uh, carp are an invasive, an invasive species. So an Asian carp, that's, that's saying something bad about Asians, apparently. You have Hammond's flycatcher, which is a bird. It was named after the uh, US Surgeon General William Alexander Hammond, who once collected the brains of killed indigenous people. <laughs> I mean, I'm all for collectors, but I just don't think that, that doesn't sound appropriate. Uh, then you have uh, the McCown's Longspur, who is a Confederate general. They don't like that. African coral tree. That's bad, obviously, because uh, it was a uh, it was a uh, it had its roots in a slur. And the digger pine, which was a pejorative term used to reference the uh, the Paiute and other indigenous groups, and that's going to be renamed as well. This is the thing you have to understand: that people can't just see these words and understand that maybe even if they didn't come from the best place, we should just understand that and continue with our lives. No, we have to be fooled into believing that these names never existed. It's a bizarre thing. It's a bizarre practice we go to, and we know that it is 100%, of course, very racist. Why? Because everything is racist. Everything is racist. Every thought you have is a KKK dream. One of the big problems, of course, with going through culture and seeing why would someone name something an Asian carp? Why didn't they change that years ago? It's because we don't have good education. Our entertainment that we put our kids, we set our kids in front of these TVs, our, there's iPads, they watch these shows, they don't learn enough about why they're racist, why they have white privilege why they don't honor transgender rights. They don't learn that until they're like four. You gotta get them earlier than that. Luckily, Muppet Babies is, is here, apparently, to give you a lesson on gender variant children. Everyone, there's something I need to tell you. The princess who came to your ball tonight was me. I'm Gonzarella. Why didn't Vu tell us? Because you all expected me to look a certain way. I don't want you to be upset with me, but I don't want to do things just because that's the way they've always been done either. I want to be me. Oh, Gonzo, we're sorry. It wasn't very nice of us to tell you what to wear to our ball. You're our friend, and we love you any way you are. Yeah, of course we do. Yeah. Back in a second. Every show is free on YouTube. 
at least the ones that I do. I mean, other shows, they might make you pay for, but the shows that I do are free on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel, click the little bell, you'll get alerts when we post the new shows and everything. Um, you can also comment live during the show. We love to see your comments. Uh, excellent work, Stu, comes from Dusty. Uh, this needs to be watched by more people. Always a very moderate, facts-first, honest show. I mean, moderate, I hope he means in tone. I mean, if I'm, if I'm a moderate politically, we have a real right-wing extremism problem in this country. <laughs> just, just putting that out there. Um, uh, very reasonable opinions. Everyone should be able to respect. Thank you for what you do. I really appreciate that. Thank you for commenting. When you comment, when you click things on YouTube, it, it shows that there's more engaged people. And that makes more people be able to see this show, and that keeps it on the air. So I really do appreciate when you do those sorts of things. Um, also, review on uh, podcast wherever you're getting your podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Probably the worst five-star rating I could give. It's right between mediocre and what the hell was that? Seriously, though, subscribe to this one. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Five freaking stars. I do very much appreciate it. We didn't go too much into the CDC stuff today. We covered it a lot this week. I will say now they are leaking their advice through the media, which is just embarrassing. It really, really is. Uh, they are leaking it out. They're telling in before they release the science. They're, they're doing all sorts of things. Like the CDC is a disaster right now. There's no question about it. Um, I will say... It's kind of interesting to watch them flail through this process. I don't think there's any reason to change what you're doing, particularly if you're vaccinated. If you're not, uh, you know, you might want to, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's worth getting, especially if you're you know, not a kid or 18 years old, where maybe it's a little bit more borderline. They are saying it's a lot easier to, easier to transmit. I will say, you know, they, they've been saying this for a while. We saw, we saw India go through a wave, but, and lots and lots of people died. It was really bad. But we also saw Great Britain go through a wave. Uh, they're a little more vaccinated than we are, but they came out of it really well. I mean, the, low, the rates were down, as we pointed out, 93% as far as death rate. And, you know, uh, honestly, like, it was the people who were younger and unvaccinated who largely got it. These new developments maybe change your calculus a little bit. I don't think it really does. It's not going to change mine. I don't think that there's much really to change at this point. I think at this point, people are going to make their own decisions and we should all just move on with our lives. Remember, you live in a country in which the CDC cannot do this to you in most circumstances. If you happen to be a landlord, totally different. That, that, apparently that was all in the CDC's power the entire time, which I don't remember learning about in civics class. But if for most people, they can't do anything but recommend in this country, uh, it's your local government that can put these into place with laws and with some teeth and you can push back against that. But if you're happy to be in a red state, congratulations, because most likely this stuff is going to hit you that hard. Back in a second. It's a very bizarre thing that could only happen, I think, in like 2021. A guy was in the woods naked. This, the beginning of almost every story. And a couple wild boars come by and steal his clothes. They run through a park where a lot of people are. He's running after them naked. Does not look good naked. While, now I guess that, that's my opinion, I should say, you know, to each his own. So then there's a photographer in the park who sees all this happening. I mean, there's a freaking wild boar running away with a guy's clothes. Thinks it's hilarious, takes the picture, posts it online. Then someone thinks that picture is so fantastic. They go and they make 
little action figures, little uh, scenery for model trains out of the scene, like with the boar, with the clothes in the mouth, with, <laughs> with a naked guy running behind it. Now, you'd think that's where the story ends. No, no. The photographer is pissed off at the people who made the scenery out of their picture. And the one guy who doesn't seem to be pissed off is the fat naked guy running through the park after his clothes in the wild boar's mouth. Why? Because no one knows who he is. And honestly, if I were him, I'd stay secret too.